When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Here's some tips for maintaining your Trex deck. Um, occasionally wash it with some soapy water or a pressure cleaner. Trex composite decking is low maintenance and won't fade, splinter or warp. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. Welcome to the Clubhouse with Mark Allen and Julian Bayard. Yes, good day everyone and welcome to the Clubhouse. Terrific to have your company right around Australia on this terrific weekend in Australian golf. It is Australian Open Golf Weekend. Julian Bayard is my name. Mark Allen is here. We're on course live on location nice at the tools. magnificent Australian Golf Club here in Sydney. And Marco, what a, uh, what a weekend and what an event we have seen. Sun's been out since Thursday. Uh, it's sensational, and course is in great nick. And we've uh, we've seen a great tournament so far. Yeah, absolutely, we have. Uh, and the golf course, yeah, I'm fascinated by this golf course. I'm fascinated by the setup this week. Mm. No rough. I mean, it, yeah, they've done their pine trees around the place, and they've got uh, you know kind of tan barky stuff underneath the pine trees. Where they, they poison the rough. Uh, you can see a very you know a, a distinct line where the cooch ends, and then yes. this tan bark starts. Mm. It looks very much, and especially with some of the flyovers, uh, it's starting to look not as not as pretty as Augusta. Mate, it's got a but real Augusta vibe about it. To Augusta. First thing I thought when I walked in here and I saw this first hole where yeah. we're situated here for AO Radio. First hole. You've got these big pine trees. You've got the, the pine the straw. Yeah. You've got no rough. There's no long grass. Yeah. I thought... They're making an Augusta. No, it's very different. I love it. And it seems the sort of golf course I'd like because I often find myself in the rough, Marco. <laughs> and it seems like you could play out of this yeah. type of uh, type of rough on the side. I saw, a, I saw we had the Pro-Am earlier in the week. Hmm. I saw blokes hitting driver off this stuff, Marco, and making the clean rough. connect. No, out of the pine straw. Out of the pine straw. And making clean connection. Yeah. Like, well, look, I love that. I, I, you know, one of the great things about golf is... Uh, recovery, and mm. we sometimes we don't see it. One of the most exciting yes. things that you have in the game is recovery. You know, when you used to see Seve Ballesteros mm-hmm. find a way out of the trees, and when you've got the long rough and trees and low hanging branches, that recovery is taken out of the golfer's arsenal. But here at the Australian, you can see look at all these trees, look at all the ones that are mm-hmm. in front of us. One thing is common there are no branches Lovely. anywhere near the ground. That's right. They are all nipped mm-hmm. and taken away, and that's exactly what they do at Augusta. You know, at Augusta, you can, you can walk around. For four or five days in Augusta, and I want you to tell me if you ever see a limb hanging down. (laughs) The only limbs that survive are the ones that shoot up in the air. You won't see one. Uh, One, it makes golf much easier to play because you're not looking for golf balls all the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, Two, you bring recovery back into the game, and that has its dangers. You have a good day with with recovery, Mm -hmm. uh, and you can shoot a really low score. You have a bad day with recovery, and your score will blow out twice as much as if you have a good day. So, you know, the risk-reward is brought back into the game, Mm -hmm. and certainly at the Australian Golf Club this week, we've seen a lot of people try to recover. Good and bad shots. Yes. The good ones are great to look at. They are fantastic to look at. The bad ones, well, they're always making a bogey or a double bogey after a bad recovery shot. 
like, there's nothing better than watching golf when blokes have to try and invent a shot. They got to try and punch a low one around yeah. a corner or slice one out, and you know, try yeah. and get a chip and run up to the green, and then try and get it up and down to save par. I love that sort of golf. Yeah, there is. Love it. But you know, the other way, the other thing is the protection of a golf course. Your average, you know, your nuts and bolts golf course that you know most people that we're talking to right mm-hmm. now would play on. If they didn't have any kind of rough at all, they would become super easy golf courses. Yeah. Now, I don't mind that. Like, there's nothing wrong with having an easy, enjoyable mm-hmm. golf course, but there's got to be something. Yeah. You know, the, the golf course has to have a little bit of something. And So tell the listeners out there, Marco, who might not have seen much of this course on TV this week, what's this course bringing that's making it tougher without the long rough that yeah. we normally well, are used to length seeing? length is a factor. Yeah. Length is a factor. It's 7,200 yards long, so 6,600 metres. Mm-hmm. Um, and... And it's a par 71. So the first hole, I mean, if you've been lucky enough to play the Australian Golf Club, uh, you'll always remember the first hole as a mm. par 5. That's not the case. They've got the grandstands on the back tee, mm-hmm. and they've used, I think, the second tee forward. So the hole actually plays around 480 metres. Um, uh, 400, excuse me, 440 metres, something like that, the yep. first hole uh, here at the Australian Golf Club. Um, so length is a, is a protector. One of the things that this golf course certainly does have is a lot of length. You know, the eighth hole this week, 440-metre hole mm-hmm. up a hill. Um, that's probably going to be the toughest golf hole of the week. The first hole, 430 metres. So that's right on the limit, or the old limit, mm. of what par fours used to be when you know back in the 90s. So it has a lot of long par fours. Yep. Uh, it also has very small greens compared yes. to your average golf course. So, you know, this second hole that we see down the hill, it's huge elevated tee, you come down, the green isn't as big as what maybe you'd be used to. And mm-hmm. that's a characteristic of all the old classical golf courses. Not necessarily a characteristic of a Jack Nicholas golf course. Jack, uh, you know, probably in the 80s was making yeah, some really big greens because yep. the, the thinking behind it was we wanted as many pin placements as possible. But as uh, time goes on and, uh, you know, tournaments are played at these golf courses, the one thing that they all had in common was really low scores because mm. it's hard to miss a green. And, and what these designers don't really understand, a lot of them, the poor designers anyway, yes. is that most of the time pros aren't aiming at the flag. Yeah. Most of the time they safe sight. Mm. It's so important because it's not a sprint. It's a four-round marathon to win a golf tournament and when a when you, when you turn up to a golf course like the Australian like this seventh hole the seventh hole here is one of the toughest golf holes that we have on uh, on the property now it's a really tight drive you've got to cut a little shot and then there is water on the right hand side yes. now if we're just having a one day competition to see who has the low score on the seventh <laughs> everybody in the pl- in the field is bomb and driver yep. down there but it's not that's not what we're no. doing You've got to have the low score on the week. And if you can play that hole uh, even par or better for the week, you're probably going to be two shots in front of the field. Yep. And that's the way a good club professional... That's, that's the way Jordan Speed thinks. He'll look at this hole and go, if I played even par for the week, yeah. I'm up on the rest of the field. Mm. And he'll look at that, all those things, every hole, every time he steps on it, and work out his plan of attack. Well, listening to AO Radio, which we've been working at this week, Marco. It's been the, good fun. It has been. Um, the eighth has been a real intrigue for me. Um, 440 metres straight up the hill. 440 metres. Into the prevailing Into wind. the breeze for, for much of the week. It uh, is a ref- really, really tough hole. It's been refreshing to see pros hit a fairway wood. Yeah. In for a second shot. Yeah. That's been good fun. Um, I think Matt Jones, he uh, he must have, I think he healed, he hit a driver off the heel into the wind uh, in the afternoon in round one. 
And his second shot, not only did he have to hit a three-wood, he had to sling it, mm-hmm. which means he was aiming right and slinging it back with a big draw to find an extra 10 or 15 metres on the shot. Hit the most beautiful shot you've ever seen. But, you know, I've been talking a lot with Mike Clayton this week, and we're talking about, you know, the way golf used to be played. That's the way golf used to be played. Yep. A lot of the time these days, particularly in the States, you know, the second shots are dominated by wedges. In fact, one of the stats brought up this week mm. was that in his most magnificent year, Dustin Johnson, his US Open year, the longest iron he hit into a par four <laughs> for the entire year yeah. was a six iron. It's a disgrace. For the whole year. It's a disgrace, isn't it? Uh, and then, oh, good on him, I guess. Yeah, well, it is. Uh, there's a there was a US Open once played in, uh, in Houston at, at a golf course called Champions, um, and we looked up this week and and we saw what Arnold Palmer was hitting in to the hole. Uh, he hit one pitching wedge. The next shortest club that he hit in was a seven iron. And there were lots of threes and lots of twos, and there was a one iron. He hit three wood second shots uh, on all the par fives. Uh, at champions, so his his average second shot into all the holes would have been something like a five iron. Mm. So, if you translate that to today, and you Arnold Palmer was one of the longest hitters yep. in the world back in his day. So, if we made it to where the average club for someone like Dustin Johnson was a five iron second shot in today's, well, you wouldn't have. Six, uh, 7,600 yard courses you'd have 9,000 yard courses yeah. to be able to accommodate that sort of play yeah. I, I don't Crazy. want that anymore no. and look it's, look it's been the big story one of the reasons we I mean if you're listening to AO Radio this week well, we've been talking about and you, can, you actually can during the weekend so you go to yeah. golf.org.au no matter where you are when the Australian name is on you can have a listen to what's going on yeah. um, when, when we when we spoke about what's going on this week. It's on the back of Wally Uline. Now, if you don't know who Wally Uline is, he is the CEO or the general manager of the biggest ball company the world's ever known, mm-hmm. which is Titleist. Or it's, it's known as a Kushner. Yeah. So the last month, we've heard from the USGA and they have said they're thinking about knocking the ball back. We've heard Tiger Woods come out in the last two weeks and say, he thinks the ball's going too far. Yep. Jack Nicholas, Gary Player, Arnold Palmer for years and years and years said the ball's just going too far. And when all these influential people come together and starts talking from the same hymn book about the ball needing yep. to be short, well, so, so, the government and the government who are looking after it yeah. are going to go, we need to listen. That's right. Now, one of the key components of what I just said, those names that I just said, the USGA yep. included. So Jack Nicholas, Arnold Palmer, Gary Player, Tiger Woods and the USGA. You know what they are these days? Or well, Arnold Palmer, rest in peace. But golf course designers. Mm. So they understand what's going on because they look at the golf courses that they have designed so, and, and very specifically for perhaps tournament play there one day. They look at the yardage um, of, of the golf courses that they've presented mm. and a lot of them are only 7,300 yards long. Yeah. Well, US Opens are now, you need, you know, where we played this year and uh, Brooks Kepka shot a record score on the par, that was that they could have stretched that out to 78. Most days it played at 76, 100 yards long. In, impossible length. So what it does, and this is the thing, what it does is the Australian, where we're here this mm-hmm. week, I mean, it's too short for a US Open. Yep. It, it, probably by the end of the week, it might be too short for an Australian Open. Mm. By the end of the week, um, you know, it's, it's judging on some of the scores we've seen early, early in the week. Um, 
Royal Melbourne, Kingston Heath, New South Wales, Shinnecock Hills, where they'll play the US Open. Um, these golf courses are starting to become obsolete. Yeah. Now, where is Kingston Heath going to find another 1,000 yards? Where's Royal Melbourne Composite going to find another 1,000 yards? Where's Shinnecock Hills going to find another 1,000 yards? So what's the deal? All these amazing, beautiful golf courses are going to be thrown out the window? You can't. It would, it would, be, not, it would be like not playing crickets at Lord's. Mm. Not, because the bats were too big and they could just clear the it. fence every Oh, time. sorry. Well, we've just got to bulldoze this joint. Yeah. And, and so yeah. it, it would be like not playing baseball at Wrigley Field. Mm-hmm. It would be, you know, all these amazing places that we have as, as venues for major championships. We don't want them to become no. obsolete. No, Wally Uline... He don't give a crap. All he wants to do is sell titleists. Sell sell golf balls. That's all he wants to do. But here's the thing. I don't understand. Someone's going to have to explain it better to me. I don't understand why, if the USGA and the RNA are the rules makers... Why don't they just do it? If they just say, okay, the ball has to spin this much with the driver. Because the spin, taking the spin away, is the only thing that is making the golf ball go as far as it goes. Mm -hmm. Because it doesn't spin anymore. The golf ball is not a golf ball anymore with the driver. It is a missile. Mm -hmm. There is no resistance. The backspin was always the resistance through the air. The backspin's gone. Yep. The the the, uh, the scientists, the the rocket scientists that now design golf balls, they are the reason why they can not spin with the driver, but spin like you wouldn't believe with the wedges. Yep. They're too clever, Marco. They are way too clever. Too, too so, clever. but you explain. I don't. I don't. Yeah. You explain to me. If the USGA and the RNA says, listen, your ball has to conform. To these stipulations. Yep. Uh, why, why can they sue? It was fascinating to hear what Jeff Ogilvy had to say too earlier this week. Mark, I'm not sure if you heard his comments prior to the yeah. Australian Open saying that he thinks that people out there can design a golf ball that will halt the distance from the pros but won't hinder the hacker who's getting around and hitting it 200 yeah, metres. No doubt. So they can still hit the long ball with these great balls. That There's yep. blokes out there now. I, I hit a TP5X earlier this week. Yep. I could not believe. I, it was the first time I've used the X. Yeah. Couldn't I believe how long and straight it went? Yeah. Sometimes. And how and, and, and sometimes. Yeah. And and how much spin you could get around the greens? And exactly right. And then but for me, who doesn't hit it that far and just a weekend warrior, that's great. But that ball the pros are able to do so much more with that oh, with their consistent swing. So that that's the thing. That's why people and Ogilvy's comment saying we can design a ball that is good for everyone, so we don't need different rules from the amateurs to the pros. And that's the that's the that is exactly thing. right. So yeah. so look, Jeff Ogilvy's been very balanced in everything that he has said in the past, and th- th- here is a great example. And there's no doubt about that. Yeah. Because the golf ball, particularly the ones that have X on the back, mm. so the pro ball with an X, so a pro V one X, TP five X, the Callaway version, Bridgestone version, yep. whatever, all, all of them. Yep. The one that is designed for a player with 115 miles per hour. Uh, club head speed or to 120. I mean, the the ball does that much more mm. in percentage of how far it goes because the pro can get equipment that makes the ball not spin, which means the super X shaft, you know, the, the absolute lamppost. That's the reason why a lot of players use uh, an X shaft. One of them is to keep the ball down. Mm-hmm. The other one is it doesn't spin too much. Mm. So the pros are using these double X shafts in the drivers with a little bit more loft than normal. The ball launches like it normally would, and then doesn't spin. Yeah. So the average, the average player with a, with 95 miles per hour club head speed, it doesn't make any difference. 
And that's why forever, you know, all these, a lot of the time they read on the box, it goes longer and straighter. And you get the new ball and the amateur player goes, yeah, what are they talking about? Doesn't go longer and straighter. But the guy with over 100 miles per hour, they go, hang on a second, this is different. This is big. And then it goes to a whole new level if you've got 117 miles per hour. Yep. Because they can get the equipment from the tour vans to make it spin even less. They'll still have 117 miles per hour club head speed Mm. and half the spin. Yep. So that's what's happening in the world of golf. And Wally Uline had a chance to knock it on the head. What did he do? He didn't. He didn't do it. All right, we're going to get to a break, Marco. We're going to come back. We're going to get stuck into this tournament itself here from some of the uh, players who have stopped by uh, AO Radio during the week. Some of the big names. uh, Jared Lyle, we're going to hear from uh, a couple of young Aussies as well, Marco, who stopped by. We will. We'll hear from him and uh, plenty more to come. Don't forget Marco's masterclass still to come as well. This is the clubhouse. I'm going to write a letter to Wally. (laughs) Right around Australia. Julian Bayard, Mark Allen with you. Don't go anywhere. Plenty more still to come. You're listening to The Clubhouse with Mark Allen and Julian Bayard. Welcome back. It is The Clubhouse right around Australia. Julian Bayard, Mark Allen with you talking all things golf. And we are live on location at the Australian Golf Club for the 2017 Emirates Australian Open. Julian Bayard, my name. Mark Allen in here as well. And Marco, earlier on in the week... You're doing AO Radio yep. every day if you want to listen to a golf.org.au or any of your uh, yep. streaming apps. Any of the platforms. But you were joined by a former champion. Absolutely. His name's Bob Shearer. He's one of my favourites. He actually won the Australian Open here yes. in 1982, and he played with Jack Nicholas three of his four rounds. Played with him in the first two, and they got paired with him again in the last. I want you to listen to the story where he talks about his last shot into the final hole. You know it here very well because it's a driver and a long iron Mm -hmm. and there is water right there. He had a lead. You've got to listen to what he did with his second shot into the last. So, Bob, what do you remember? 1982 here at the Australian. uh, Jack Nicklaus would have just redone the course for the first time. Yeah. And you walked away with the Stonehaven Cup. What, What can you remember from the week? Would you like me to start at the first half? No, no, no. Just the highlights, please. Uh, Well, yeah, it's probably... I look back on it, and it was a bit like the, when I was very fortunate to win the Australian Amateur. And for some reason that week, I hardly missed a shot. Right. And the same happened here. And it was fortunate that I had that week at, here at the Australian Open. Um, I think I went for, I don't know, probably five, nearly ten years be- previous to that, that... I felt I played good enough to win an Australian Open, but couldn't do it, and it was starting to get get to me, I think. And and uh, I can only say Jack Nicklaus helped me out here. Well, Just by being Jack Nicklaus, I played with him the first two days, and then the last day, and. You just don't want to make a fool of yourself in front of him, or I didn't, you know. And and uh, I probably played the best I've played. Incredible. For, well, can, ever can really? You, did you have a did you have a, a swing key or something that you were thinking about that week that you can that you remember? I no, mean, not really. I, I I had the feeling I was swinging well, and it's only when I saw replays of it yeah. that that confirmed that I wish I could have done that or did that sort of swing every week. Well, you did, what do you mean? Well, you did. did. <laughs> You always no, did. You're not, a great not hitter quite that bad. It was I. I don't know. I had a good turn, and I had to yeah. just probably shorter parallel with the swing, which 
you know, I used to overswing a bit, yeah. but not that week. It was sort of locked into the area, and I don't know, the, the course and the yeah, grass and everything. Beautiful yeah, shot made in the 18th hole over the water. We I mean, didn't yeah. have to, really. Like, what's he doing? Yeah. Just nah. nine, oh. nine, nine wedge, pulls the three on out oh. and just whips it on the middle of the green. Did you really? Yeah, I was having a fight. I had a fight with, with my caddy, yeah. and I had a fight with Ed Marshall. Why did you have a fight with the marshal? I understand well, why you have Will, a fight with the Bob caddy. Bob Wilson, he's not with us anymore, but he was he was the head marshal. He was a member here, and he's, he was the Slesinger. Slesinger, Dunlop Slesinger man. Right. And he told me to, to lay up as well. <laughs> and I asked, well, I got down there, and Nicholas hit a one-iron on the green. Right. So I thought, I've got to, you know, I, can't. I was 15 yards in front of him. I thought, I've got to do that sort of thing. And I said, what's the yardage to the front of the green? to Lawrence and he said 135 I said no 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 not the front of the water the front of the green <laughs> he said oh no no sir we're, we're laying up and the only thing that went through my mind is I could lay up and then hit three in the water, water and lose <laughs> but if I hit hit that second shot and it landed on land it didn't matter where it went after that yeah. particularly into the water because yeah. you drop it on the edge of the green Two putt, you win. The mindset of a champion. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I was in a tug of war with the three iron. So, right. So you played with Jack Nicholas that week three times. Yes. And yeah, Jack. Uh, what was he in 1986? He was 40, no, 82. 82. Yeah, no, but in 1986 he was 46. So he's 42. He was 42 years old. So still going. He was really, really well. Oh yeah. I mean, there wasn't much. Well, there's no one better at hitting than him, and and he was, he was on that week too. So, can you remember what, much of what he did and, and the way he was speaking to you and, and things like that? Yes. We're, we're all, yeah. I'm fascinated about yes. it. You play with him three times, you beat the man in your home open at a golf course that he designed. Yeah, yeah. well, it, you know, I mean, he, he speaks, he always speaks to his playing partners. Mm. Um, he's that type of bloke. As good as God. I mean, he had the mindset that he was going to beat him anyway, beat everybody, so <laughs> might as well talk to him. <laughs> but um, he was still playing pretty well at that stage, and Incredible. you know he, he hit a few iron shots that you just stood back and thought that couldn't, you can't do that. You know, <laughs> I remember one at the twelfth uh, hole, and I don't know, it was probably about a six iron, maybe, maybe yeah. even a five iron. Driving second a, second driving shot. Driving a wedge now. Well. <laughs> You know, I was hitting at eight or nine, nine yeah. into there. He, he Off the four, to the back tee there now. Yeah, but it was windy, I told <laughs> yeah, you. Okay. The wind was into our face on yeah, that hole. The wind was in your face on every hole? No, that's now. <laughs> <laughs> Fascinating chat, Marco. He's the and, best, uh, good old he was brilliant to uh, to stop by and give us some of his time earlier in the week. Yeah, he's an old bloke these days, probably. He's been yeah. a member at Southern Golf Club down in Victoria for a long, long time. Yeah. What's his handicap, do you reckon? He's like uh, 65. Uh, one, two, <laughs> still going all right. Might be crazy. He should be approaching seventy, I think. Bob yeah, it's going all right. He's a star. Going all right. We're going to get to a break. Uh, still plenty more clubhouse to come. Stick around. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to the clubhouse with Mark Allen and Julian Bayard. Welcome back. It is the clubhouse. Julian Bayard is my name. Mark Allen is here as well, talking all things golf live on location at the Australian Golf Club in Sydney for the Emirates 2017 Australian Open. Now, Marco, earlier mm. on in the week, Thursday, in fact, young Cam Davis. Wow, what a round. What about the eight under par 63 he posted? 
Birdies the first two holes, pass the third. Then yep. goes birdie, birdie, birdie. So he's five under through six mm-hmm. holes. He misses the green on the next hole, mm-hmm. chips it in. Mm-hmm. So there's four birdies in a row, two to start with. He's six under through seven, goes to the next hole, hits his second shot in the trap. Guess what happens? What does he do? He lipped it out. Yeah. He, almost, <laughs> he almost had a start where he booted seven of the first eight holes. He went on the shoot 63. That's an eight under par score. He's a former... Uh, Australian amateur champion mm-hmm. did that back in 2015 he was a good kid and this yeah. was a good chat well we're very lucky to have in headquarters uh, here in, the, in our studio Cameron Davis the leader of the Emirates Australian Open eight on the par he shot today uh, I want to ask him about his start birdied the first two uh, had a little par and then birdied the next four to get off to a cracking start six under through seven <laughs> Uh, maybe a couple of little buggies on the bag, or one buggy on the ninth hole, and then cruised home in 33. Cameron, congratulations. Well done on the round. Thank you. Yeah. Tell us uh, how that uh, start uh, got out for you. I mean, the birdie, the first two, it's the dream start, then the par, then four in a row. What were you feeling? It was a bit of a shame about the par, really. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was... I wouldn't. I wouldn't say it went like a dream. I, I just. I just kept on aiming at spots and, and hitting them. That was really all that happened. I made a couple of nice, you know, six seven footers for birdie, but I was just hitting the drives where I wanted them. Then I was, you know, hitting my shots into the greens and using the right slopes so the landing areas were effectively a little bit bigger. But you know, I just you know kept on hitting it out of the middle of the club face and then picking the right club, obviously, because I was near the hole. So you know, I just kept on just playing within myself, just giving myself chances. And then, yeah, I was, you know, to get that many birdies in, I didn't really think about it at the time, but looking back on it, it was pretty good. Is it, when yeah. you go in conditions are as perfect as they were this morning, I mean, is there a wee bit of pressure, you know, you've kind of got to take advantage here, or did that even cross your mind? Uh, well, it kind of does before you start the round. You're like, oh, it's the morning round, you're off near the, near the front of the field, so the greens are going to be fresh and the wind's not really going to be up. You'd like to take advantage of it. Once you get started, you... you 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 like to think it just goes straight out the back of your mind, and yeah. today it really did. I just you it's know one shot at a time deal. Yeah, well, especially when when the birdies come easy, like hitting the ball in the middle of the green that rolls up near the hole, and you make a putt, and you're just like, yeah. well, I don't actually have to try that hard for it to happen. Yeah. It was one of those days, so I was just swinging well enough to hit my spots, and then I was able to just you know not play conservatively, but play to spots where the ball could actually feed down towards the hole rather than trying to go straight at it. Yeah. So playing like that made it a lot more stress free. And, um, you know, it was a little bit easier to keep it going because a lot of the pins were in spots where they were in the bowl and you could use, you know, right. 15 feet right and 15 feet left and yeah. a 15 feet long and it would all feed down to the hole. So as long as you're in that area, you're going to leave yourself a good chance to birdie. So, Cameron, uh, you beat the first two, like we said, and then you beat the next three. Uh, you miss the green on the seventh and you chip in, I've mm. been told. Yeah. You go to the next hole, you're in a bunker. So you're, seven under, you're six under through seven holes. You get to the eighth hole. And you almost hold a trap shot on the eighth as well. You lipped out. For, you lipped out. Yeah, yeah. It was um, it was quite a long one too. I was in short of the green. The pin was right at the back on a little shelf. So I'm just thinking, now I've got a little bit of room to work. If I land it short of the ridge, it should skip up. If it lands into the ridge, it should slow it down. So I've got a little bit of room to work with. But it was a hard shot, and it just came out so perfect. It came out low and spinning, and it landed just at the base of the slope. Went up, and it was in line with the hole. And it's kind of no way, not not two in a row because. <laughs> The one on the hole before was a hard enough shot as well. Yeah. You kind of did the same thing, came out hot but spinny and just tracked straight at the hole and checked and went in. And then, yeah, it caught a big piece of the hole. It took a bit of a horseshoe, but to be honest, just to get on that top shelf was um, was a really good shot. And for it to almost go in, I was <laughs> a little bit bizarre myself. Yeah. Obviously, you've made a better job of playing the course than anybody else this morning. I mean, how, oh. but how did it play in general? 
Well, I just, I think if you're hitting the ball in the fairway off the tee with your driver, it was it wasn't that difficult. I mean, the, the way the greens are, the greens are so perfect. Um, they're not too hard to read either. Mm. It only gets really tricky when the wind starts coming up because the wind does affect it a little bit on the greens, and they did start to get a little bit shiny and a little bit speedy. But um, especially for the first nine holes without the wind, mm. it was out there to get. Like I'm not surprised that there are a lot of guys. Yeah up there I mean I'm, I'm glad I played played all the way around and played really well and managed to shoot a really good score because you're going to need it when you've got the conditions like that for you and it was great to get one of the youngsters on Marco straight after he had a chad always giving with his time brilliant how Loved relaxed yes. how relaxed was he I know you Cameron spoke Davis. to him you actually got him on I mean, he's, he's a good character he's a good guy he? he's a good guy um, speaking of well. good young players Marco yeah Carl Phillips <laughs> what about this young guy? This kid's 15 years old. 15. I've been following him for a long time. Pennant and Melbourne is a big deal, folks, if you're not yep. uh, from Victoria. This kid's been playing Division One Pennant since he was 10 years old. Yep. He goes across to America on a high school project. Uh, he's won one of the big amateur championships in America where the college players were there. Mm-hmm. He's already signed a letter of intent to go to Stanford yep. University. That's where full, Tiger Woods went. Full Scholarship. And we spoke to him after he shot 73 in the 72 on the Thursday. One over par yes. in the first round. We've got a special guest, John, a very special guest. We've been following this young fella for a long, long time. I remember seeing him for the first time on Twitter playing pennant, Division One pennant, when he was about nine years old and sucking <laughs> back sand irons and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. These days, he's just won a big award. I think he's won the Australian Golf Digest Amateur of the Year Award. He's also won one of the biggest amateur tournaments in America at the age of 15. I'm talking about Carl Vilps. G'day, Carl. Hey, how are you? I'm really well. Nice to have you back in the country. How have you taken the time off school is what I want to know. I haven't done any schoolwork at all <laughs> since I've been away, but uh, it's fun. I like it. Uh, tell me about now the name of the Victor- of, of the big M- uh, U.S. tournament that you won. I'm, I'm sorry, I've forgotten it. It wasn't the North South. It was Southern Am. The Southern Amateur. Amazing. Uh, at 15 years old, you're playing against some of the best college players the country had to offer, and you go and win a tournament like that. Congratulations. What were you feeling coming in, knowing you you were a chance to win towards the end? Uh, you know, the third round was kind of rough, so I was heading into the last round a few strokes back, and I just went out and played my game and. You know, they're some of the best in the world, so I knew I had to play really good to have a chance and uh, made a really good run the last few holes to get through and end up winning by one. And it was, it was I didn't know how to react to it, but I really enjoyed it. Who were the guys you were up against? Give me some names. Uh, Stony Crouch got second, and then um, Zachary Boshu, uh, Lloyd Goh, and... Uh, um, Jimmy Stanger. So these are highly ranked guys. Yeah. That's quite a thing. Yeah, Yeah, it was was really cool. Your story's incredible. I mean, your dad's obviously got you in the golf, and the game became very simple to you at a very early age. Why do you think that was? What what happened? When you first picked up a golf club and the ball just started going in the direction you wanted it to and putts started to go in, what was the deal? I don't know. I mean, I I never felt something so good as to hit a golf shop here. Um, And, I mean, I've always had, like, good natural hand-eye coordination so I'm pretty good at all the sports I play but when I play golf it's it's a lot more mental and I enjoy a mental challenge mm. and, and I also like doing things on my own and uh, me hitting shots by myself instead of you know kind of relying on other members of a team and I've always enjoyed doing that and that's why I also play tennis yeah but um, I guess I've always loved it you know just the feeling of winning 
um, and hitting shots that just feel nice, like little spinning wedges and knock yeah. down three irons. They do feel nice. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure about the knock down three iron anymore. <laughs> <Just, laughs> the little spinning wedges still feel good. They're called stingers these days. <laughs> yeah. Uh, tell me, um, when, you, when you were coming through, um, did you ever think that a college like Stanford at a, such a young age would be asking for a letter of intent and all that kind of stuff? I mean, this, this sort of stuff, the more I read about you, Carl, the better it gets. I mean, what were you, 15 years old and Stanford? Yeah. That, that, and for people who don't understand the college system, that's, that's the college that Tiger Woods went to. Yeah. So they're asking you to sign a letter of intent so early. Uh, yeah, I uh, committed in March this year. How old were you? I was 15. Yeah. And I'll sign my letter of intent in 2020 or yeah. 2019. And I mean, ever since I took my visit, I just knew it was the place to go. And they said that there was that offer on the table, and I said, oh, well, I'll take it. Full ride? <laughs> yeah. It's pretty hard to turn down Stanford, so. Is that about forty or $50,000 worth a year as, as far as the scholarship yes, is concerned? Yes, around fifty. Yeah. It's seriously cool part of the world, though. Yeah. San, San Francisco is, like, incredible. Yeah. So what's next? I mean, you've, you've come back to play a little bit. Clearly, you've still got to go to high school, otherwise Stanford are going to reject you straight away. You've got to not only finish high school, but get some pretty good grades mm -hmm. to, to get through there. Yeah. Um, the time off that you get to play the big tournaments that you need to play to keep um, you know, competitive, uh, that's all cool with the school that you're at at the moment, the high school you're at? Yeah, but there's a certain amount of days I have to, like I can't miss more than 30 days of school. So I have to be careful. I mean, this tournament was pretty good with the schedule because it was Thanksgiving break. Mm. So, I mean, it kind of I didn't miss any days of school for it, but it, they, they are pretty flexible. Before I go any further, I've got to ask you, how did you play today? I forgot I forgot to even ask you how you played today. Uh, you shoot? <laughs> today was, it wasn't bad. I mean, my driver was all over the place, so I got to go to the range and fix it. But it was pretty, pretty up and down. Uh, it wasn't great to finish my round. But, I mean, I still shot one over, so I definitely think that there's still a chance for tomorrow if I just fix up my driver because my irons and everything else is really on point right now. So when your driver was going all over the place, you're saying, was it actually going left and right? Like No, just like hooks left. Just hooks Massive left. Massive hooks left. So tell us, what, why, what are you going to go down and work on at the range to stop that and get that going arrow straight tomorrow? Um, probably try some, like, standing close to the ball and taking it uh, more vertical on takeaway because I was hitting toe hooks. So, I mean, i got to put a sharpie on my ball and, you know, try to find where my contact pattern is and um, hopefully I'll be able to get it more consistent by the end of the day. See what you've just done there? That's what the rest of the world's golfers before you haven't told us. Keep that in your bag of arsenal, please. When you're asked what you're going to do, tell us what you're going to do because it is great to listen to. Um, the best golfers in the world just explain and, and, and you know everyone learns from the game yeah. and you guys talk like that so thanks so much for joining us yeah no problem one over par you hit, you drop, hit the ball left all day <laughs> so he said it's, it's a great score Carl good luck with everything thank you appreciate it Carl Vilps there what a story uh, there is a name to remember there is Marco a uh, really well spoken young man for well, how old did you say it was 15 15 15 year old and uh, hey, it was great to hear too when he said he was driving left exactly what he was going to go out and fix up yeah. on Thursday afternoon after his uh, his first round well that's your idea so we're going to start training kids yeah. anytime we get a kid <laughs> on we're going to get him to tell us what he's actually working that's on it. we're going to put that in his head instead of the blah 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 answers when mm -hmm. someone asks what you're working on Carl Vilps is going to change the world perfect alright we're going to get to a break Marco's Masterclass of free golf lessons coming up stick around now on the clubhouse 
Marco's Masterclass. Yeah, it's that time of the show where we get a free golf lesson from the number one teacher in golf on radio. His name is Mark Allen. We do it all for Club Mandalay Golf Course. Play golf at Club Mandalay. It's great golf in Melbourne's north. Uh, visit clubmandalay.com.au. Play golf, play Club Mandalay. Now, these things you remember when you're a pro comes very naturally, but it's great to be back at a tournament venue again and watching the pros practice their putting mm. because you soon learn or remember, there's no hit when you putt. There's no hit. Now, I want you to get in your putting stance, Jules, right. and I want you to pretend you're rolling a ball. So roll a ball with your right hand on the ground. You've got a ball in your hand, and you're just going to roll it. Yep. You can see how that hand lays back a little bit, and you actually put the top spin on mm. the ball. You're going to put the top spin on the ball. That's right. So there is no hit mm. with the hand. You wouldn't roll it and go it up because the ball would go up in the That's air. Right. To roll the ball on the ground... Your hand actually stays back a little bit, and you put topspin on the ball. Mm. This is exactly the feeling you should have when you putt. Every single time that you hit a putt, whether it's one foot or 100 feet, even with a putter in your hand, you've got to feel like you're rolling the ball. As soon as you start hitting putts, it's a disaster Mm. because the hands become too active. But when you roll the ball along the ground, it is a different game. And I know when we... Got out here on Thursday. I pointed something out to you. We saw a putt hit yes. from the front of the green. I said, gee, that ball jumped in the air. Jason Day. Jason Day. It jumped in the air. Where did it finish? Five foot short. That's right. That comes from a short backswing. He knew he had a short backswing, and he hit the putt. You could see it. I could see it because yes. I've been watching golf for a million years. The ball go, jumps up in the air. Bubble. It doesn't roll. It bubble, bubble, bubble. Comes up four feet short. You have to feel like you're rolling your putts. Couldn't agree Even more. with a putter in the air. Now, if you don't understand that feeling... Get in a putting stance, put a ball in your right hand, and just feel like you're rolling it towards the hole. Put some top spin on the ball, and then when you put the putter back in your hand, you've got to do the same sort of thing. Mm. You don't use wrists to yep. hit the ball. You've got to feel like you're caressing it. You're rolling it over and over, and you'll get the job and done. And I feel like, Marco, it's as much about the follow-through as well oh, as it is. Absolutely. And that's where that's where if you... A lot of people decelerate through their putting stroke and stop just after they've hit it. And yeah. that's that's where you get that jump and the, the ball wobbles. Yeah, and the funny thing is too, when you're actually on a putting green, just actually roll a ball at some of the holes because you'll find that on the short ones, you'll just do a little backswing. Mm. And on the long ones, you'll do a long backswing. And that is exactly what you've got to be doing when you have a putter in your hand as well. Too yep. many people have the same length back backswing mm-hmm. for every putt. But their backswing will be a foot long for their three-footers and they're 50 footers, and it doesn't make sense. But if you get into the feel of rolling, that's where the backswing length will start coming in pretty intuitively, and away you'll go. So don't hit putts. You've got to feel like you roll putts, and it'll change everything you do in the game. There you go, Marco's Masterclass, all for Club at Mandalay. You can play golf for two people at Club Mandalay, including a motorised cart with a drink for only $79. Nice. Good value on this Australian Open Weekend, if you want to have a hit, if you're inspired by some of the great golfers getting around out here. Marco, thank you for that. Good thank on you, Jules. Uh, if you are tuning in across the weekend, whenever you are listening to our uh, little show, if you want to listen to Australian Open Golf Radio, uh, you can tune in on golf.org.au and uh, listen throughout the weekend. Marco, we'll be back next week, a full wrap of the Australian Open, and uh, we'll take a good look at what happened. Good on you, Jules. Catch you then. We'll see you next week. G'day, Mike Hussey here. Get on board Australia's best fantasy cricket game, KFC Supercoach BBL. It's fun, free, and easy to play. Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005.